feel constrained to share uh, this message with you this morning for a few moments. If you have your Bibles and you'll turn to 2 Samuel 15. say while you're turning there, I, I shared this last week. Outside of the Word of God, this, this book, A Tale of Three Kings, continues to be my all-time favorite. I, I try to read it once a year. Sometimes I need to read it twice a year. But it's a study in brokenness. It changed my life many years ago in my relationships with people, both in the church and in the community. I have a few copies back there, and you know what? I think we can get them for like 10 bucks a piece. If you want a copy, you say something to me after service today, we'll, we'll make sure that we get you a copy. I think I got three or four back there, and it won't cost you a dime. But I, I believe every believer ought to read this book, A Tale of Three Kings. One of the things I love about it is it's, it's an it's a easy read, very short chapters. You can probably read the whole book in about two hours. But it, it will transform your life as it relates to relationships. In 2 Samuel 15, <clears throat> beginning at verse 1, it says, It came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king, the king was David, to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, that he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. Watch verse 6. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Would you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Father, I come before you today keenly aware of your need for spiritual and physical strength. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that you are here, that you are in this service and have already ministered to your people. Lord, I just feel this compelling that I have to release this word, this burden, this message. And I pray that you would help us to take your word and hide it in our heart. That we would not sin against you. Speak to us. Touch me spiritually, physically, emotionally. Touch every heart, every ear to hear, every heart to receive. We thank you and we praise you for these blessings in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. <clears throat> you have labored through the first semester, and you have gotten through the first half of the second semester. 
It's been a long, hard winter. Been multiple, several inch snowstorms. School has been in session. Projects have been completed. Homework has been accomplished. You're maintaining the grades and waiting for spring break with warm temperatures and 10 days off. But then you get the word that you are not looking forward to getting. And that is that there's only going to be two or three days of spring break because of the brutal winter that you've just come through. In other words, school has been extended because of snowstorms. The dreaded words, school, is extended. You see, for the child of God, there is this realization that God has a school. The reason that God has a school is because he does not have enough broken people. See, broken people are the only people that God can use. And the only way to break people and humble people is to enroll them into God's school of submission. I told you last week that if you put over the door of the school charisma or giftedness or cheap grace, you'd have a long waiting list for people trying to get into the school. The school would be loaded up with students ready to embrace whatever is given and whatever is handed out. But a school of pain, a school of submission, why there's very few that sign up for that, very few that are interested. Because in this school, you have no say-so, but simply to trust in one you cannot see, whose hand you cannot feel, whose voice you cannot hear. And yet that is exactly the school that the Lord wants every one of us to pass through. In the setting for today's lesson, we see David is the king of Israel. And in the Old and the New Testament, as I shared last week, he is identified as a man after God's own heart. I'm convinced, Brother Turpin, that he did not get the label man after God's own heart because he whipped Goliath or because he tore a bear and a lion in two as they tried to steal one of his sheep. I'm convinced that he did not get the title of man after God's own heart because he was the greatest warrior Israel had ever known or because he is even today enshrined as the most well-renowned king of Israel's history. But I believe he got the title man after God's own heart because he was willing a stu to be a student living life in God's school of submission. Now he knows the policies of this school. He's lived the policies of this school. He's known what it's like to have times of isolation, times of being forgotten about. He's known what it's like to be in times of warfare and times of dodging javelins and spears that were being hurled at him while he was simply trying to play the harp for God. He knows the policies. He's lived the policies. And now school is out and he has become the king until the chancellor walks in and says, wait a minute, not yet. I've decided by my providence that school for you, David, is going to be extended a few more days, a few more weeks, a few more years after gaining the throne, after dodging javelins from a mad King Saul. Can you imagine what's going on in David's mind? He's probably thinking, I have the anointing. 
I have the calling. I have run from javelins and spears all this time. I've lived in caves and wondered if the plan was going to be fulfilled, the plan for God to make me king, and yet he did make me king. And in the process of making me king, I now have 12 tribes, and I should be coasting from here on out. My throne is firmly established, and I have the respect and loyalty of the whole kingdom. I have, in fact, paid my dues. Have you ever felt that way in your Christian walk? I have paid my dues. I've suffered with enough hardship. I've gone through enough difficulties. There's been enough relationships that have brought wounds to my heart that I should be good from here on out. But then God comes along and says there are some more lessons that I want to teach you. And the painful part of these lessons is that they are going to come from your own son, your own flesh and blood. This time, David, it won't be you as a young shepherd boy looking up to an insane king like King Saul was who, was, who was tormented by evil spirits. But this time, it's going to be your own flesh and blood who's going to betray the kingdom right out from underneath of you. And all the while that this is happening, David, I'm going to be doing a work inside of you. You see, if you studied about this son of King David, his name was Absalom. He, there was no one in the kingdom of Israel that was as handsome and as charming as Absalom was. There was no blemish found on him. Sit in with me on a couple of conversations, would-be conversations if you would. Conversation number one, let's envision for a moment there's a young Jewish boy walking with his dad and he sees 50 men running toward them in perfect formation and there's a chariot behind the 50 men and it's carrying the king's son whose name is Prince Absalom. And the young boy looks at his dad and he asks this question, Dad, will Absalom Absalom be king soon? How old is King David after all? Isn't he about to die? And the dad looks at his young Jewish son and he says these words. He says, well, let's see. King David is probably... King Saul's age when Saul's reign came to an end. And this young prince Absalom is about the same age David was when Saul was trying to kill David with the javelin. And so one would beg the question, would history repeat itself? Will King David throw javelins at young Absalom? But I'm here to tell you today, absolutely not. He never did. He never threw a spear. He never threw a javelin. And Absalom and direction. Quite the contrary. You see, David is not Saul because God through his school in David's earlier years had crushed the Saul out of David. But see, this Absalom, he's one unique fellow. He's slick. He's conniving. For several years, he has posted himself at the gate of the city. And when someone had a need they needed to bring to the king, he would pull him to the side. He would concoct and enact a plan to steal the heart of the people away from his father David. I mean every kingdom has its challenges but this young man would cause all the women young and old to swoon. He had an answer for every problem that the people faced. He would be the, the Brad Pitt or the Johnny Depp or the Shamar Moore of the kingdom of Israel and like a true politician he could paint the pictures of greener pastures. He could portray the rippling brook 
voice to the troubled minds. He could lay out the peaceful future if only somebody would give him an opportunity to. And so day after day, he would sit at the gate. He would be the shoulder to cry upon and the ear to listen to. And human nature was catered to. And the people began to be restless because they wanted this young man to take over. I like what Warren Wearsby said in his book. He said, whereas David had won the hearts of the people through sacrifice and service, Absalom won the hearts by manufacturing an image of himself that the people could not resist. Let me just simplify it. David was a hero, but Absalom was a celebrity. Big difference between the two. Boy, I would love to spend some time there. Let me just throw this caveat in there. Hollywood has a multitude of celebrities, but I will take a first responder any day that will go into a burning building or a police officer that protects me or a medical professional that tries to improve the quality of my life. In my mind and heart, they are the true heroes. But as a result of Absalom's moves and motives, 2 Samuel 15, 6 says that he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And so one day he went to Hebron with 200 men and the trumpet was sounded and the announcement was made. Absalom reigns in Hebron. And verse 12 said the conspiracy was very strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. So now there's some major trouble for the King David. He sat on on his throne for the last several years. And now after, after getting to the throne by the hand of God and after not retaliating against Saul when Saul was trying to kill him as a young musician, as a young shepherd boy, as a young warrior, here he is. He's finally on the throne. And now his own flesh and blood is betraying the people's loyalty right out from under underneath of him. And so you begin to ask the question, what will he do? How will he respond? What will David do to stop young Absalom from stealing the hearts of the people and overthrowing his own father? Well, that takes me to another conversation. There was a commander. We talked about him last week. He had a conversation with with David. His name was Joab. And now he's David's full-fledged commander. And so I just envision in my mind and and, and through some of the writings of of Brother Gene Edwards, I just remember, I just envision in my mind Joab, that same commander that chided David in last week's message, the one that told him in the cave when the fugitives were on the run, when he said to David, look, you had King Saul at the end of your spear. He's the one that's been hunting you like a dog. Why didn't you just go ahead and kill him? I can imagine they're having another conversation. Several years have gone by now, and so Joab comes in, and, and knowing that Absalom, the king's son, is trying to overthrow his father, Joab comes in, and maybe David's looking out over the horizon, and Joab's, uh, he's got his back to Joab, and maybe Joab walks in, and he goes, have you heard, King David? And, da- and King David says, yes, I've heard. And Joab says, how long have you known this was coming? And King David said, for months, for years, a decade, maybe even longer. And Joab says these words, asks this question, if you have known this rebellion and insurrection was coming, why didn't you stop Absalom? Joab said, if you'll say the word, if you'll give me permission, I will stop him right now. Say the word and I will take him out. And about that time, David spins around, does 180 and glares at Joab and he says, absolutely not. And he goes on to say, 
I have fought in many wars in my life. And the best strategy is to draw on the experience of my youth. Joab says, well, what strategy is that, being a military guy? And David says, to do absolutely nothing. Job turns around in rage and frustration and storms out of the room. You listen to your pastor this morning. David is left with two doors that he can pass through. Door number one is to do nothing and risk losing everything. Or door number two is to fight back against Absalom and become like a Saul. Let me just stop here and tell someone in the house today by the Holy Spirit, the battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. I've come by to preach to someone today when you can't figure out that personality, when you can't figure out the solution to that problem, when the answers don't seem to be coming, do what the Word of God tells you to do. Sometimes you've got to plant your feet and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I'll say it again. The battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. I know what you're thinking. Pastor, this is different. David was nothing but loyal to Saul. And Absalom has not been loyal to his father, who is the king. But here's the beauty of those who are enrolled in God's school. They know that even if Absalom has not been like a David to them, it does not entitle them to be a Saul. So though you may not be a David to me, I will not be a Saul to you. David said, I'll flee the kingdom rather than see innocent lives lost. I'll flee the kingdom rather than divide the kingdom. And I could just hear him saying, what I was not in my youth was an Absalom, and I refused to be a Saul in my old age. I like the way Proverbs 24 and 29 says it. It says, do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. In other words, when you enroll in God's school of submission, the grounds of retaliation are removed. You know, we talk about the grounds of condemnation are removed. When we come to the Lord, there is there Therefore, now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But also with that, also the grounds of retaliation are removed. There's no more. Look out for number one. There's no more. I'll get even with them. There's no more. What goes around comes around. I'm telling you, when you understand that you're a child of God and the steps of a good man and a good woman are ordered by the Lord, then you realize that the battles that you may face are really not your battles at all. They belong to the Lord. Joab looks at David and he says, Well, king, we better get ready to flee, for we are doomed. Now watch this. I could just hear David look back at Joab and say these words. I may flee, but that doesn't mean that I am doomed. The same God that delivered a defenseless 
shepherd boy from a javelin throwing insane king is the same God that can deliver an old aging king from a young rebel. Let me tell you something. And I grew up rejoicing over the lessons, intrigued by the lessons of when David whipped Goliath and when David tore the lion and bear asunder. But I'm telling you, there's something else we ought to rejoice over. And that is the day David got the victory over himself. For when you get the victory over yourself, you gain the greatest victory a person can have in their walk with the Lord. He did not lift a finger to become king. And his whole thing is, I will not lift a finger to remain king. I say, this is messing some of us up. Because we feel like we've got to leapfrog over everyone to get ahead. If we would just humble ourselves before the Lord... Allow him to be the one that promotes us. That's what Peter said when he said, Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. David said, I didn't lift a finger to get this kingdom and I'm not going to lift a finger to keep this kingdom. And then I could just see him saying this, I seek God's will more than I do his power. I think some of y'all had too much sausages and gravy. I'm not sure you're getting this this morning. You see, submission is the school's objective. Submission. Ah, it's not a popular word, is it? (laughs) It's popular for some men when they say, Oh, the word says submit yourselves to me, woman. Come on. God bless your convicted heart right now. Your egotistical self. Submission is throughout the Bible. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Romans 6, 3 says, Yield yourself unto God and his righteousness. Ephesians 5, 21 talks about submitting yourselves one to another. In the NIV, it goes like this, submit yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves. 1 Peter 5 and verse 5 said, submit yourselves younger to the elder. Oh, that wonderful word, submission. One thing David realized was that he was not in charge. That it wasn't his kingdom, it was God's kingdom. And if God stripped David of his kingly authority, that would be up to the Lord. A few years back, I taught an extensive study on spiritual disciplines. And with the, every discipline, I learned there was a freedom that goes with it. And so I got to the discipline of submission. Oh, trust me, submission is a discipline. But boy, this really opened my eyes. If every discipline had a freedom, 
then the discipline that came or the freedom that came with the discipline of submission is that is this. You can now lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get your own way. That's a freedom. Oh, that's anti-society, isn't it? Fight for your rights. Look out for number one. God says it's not about you. (laughs) David refused to have things his own way. If God was going to make him king, then it would be the Lord's doing, then the Lord did. If God was going to keep him king, then it would be the Lord who would work it out, and the Lord did. Absalom would lose his life tragically. He did usurp his father. He did betray David out of the kingdom. And God restored David to the throne, and it led to rest, peace, the rest of his natural days. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say there needs to be more believers sign up to enroll in God's school. (laughs) And, And Lord, help us that we're not just outwardly obedient while we're inwardly rebellious. Y'all smile at me. Give me five more minutes. Like the little boy, mama kept telling him to sit down. Sit down, I said. I'm not going to tell you again. You need to sit down. Finally, she reached over there and took him by his shoulders and sat him down. To which he looked at her and said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. (laughs) How often do we do that with God? I'm I'm going to say this verse again. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. You've been fighting about this situation. You've been fighting in this marriage. You've been fighting with your children. There is no give and take whatsoever. You have drawn the line. I'm not talking about compromise and righteousness. The Word of God. But sometimes we can be thick-headed. And if we would have just waited for God, He would have worked it out for us. David refused to return spears when Saul threw them at him. He was determined not to take the kingdom by force, although he easily could have. He refused a defensive posture when Absalom stole the kingdom from him. He was determined it was God's kingdom, it was in God's control and not his own. Is this simply a Bible lesson for us today? There's some situations in your life, in your home or your 
marriage or your job or your school or your ministry where, where you've been hell-bent on not giving one inch. And today, in these few moments, the Holy Spirit has exposed your pride and self-preservation. And you feel the need that it's time to lay it at the altar and leave it there. I get some music playing softly, just the keys. I believe God hears and answers prayer. But I got to tell you, as I've grown in my walk with the Lord... I've learned something about prayer that I didn't know in my early years. And that is this. Prayer is not the greatest when circumstances change. Prayer is greater when we change. Brother Ronnie, I didn't know that in my early walk of faith. I really didn't. I mean, if, if, if God wasn't changing things, something was wrong. But I had to learn. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait. Doesn't stop me from praying. And while I'm praying and he's saying wait, he's changing me. Oh, God help me. It's time to take a deep breath. Breathe out. Decompress. As some of you came with a striving spirit this morning, not with maybe not even with anyone in the church. Maybe it is with someone in the church. Maybe it's a situation and you're just, you're, it's costing you sleep. It's costing you peace of mind. And God just sent you in to say, look, I haven't forgotten where you are. I know exactly where you are. And if you'll allow me I will fix this in a way that will be for your greatest good and for the glory of my name. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, today this altar is open for you to come and find your peace. You've tried to fix the mess in your life and you don't do anything but make it worse. The bottle's not helping, the pills are not helping, the needles are not helping, the magazine's not helping, the illicit relationship's not helping. All the world's alternatives are not bringing you any peace. But Jesus says, comes to me, come to me. Anyone, anyone in the house say, say, Pastor, I'm tired of my crazy life that lacks peace and I know I'm not where I should be with the Lord. And today... Today I want to start a new chapter, a new walk.